the Bible teaches that there are only two types of people in this world. And I don't mean male and female. It is stated in many different ways throughout the Holy Writ. We are, as far as God is concerned, either counted amongst the righteous or to be numbered with the ungodly. We are His friend or His enemy, the obedient or the rebellious. We are either in Christ, destined to eternal life within the Beloved, or in Adam, bound by our sins to everlasting ruin. When it comes to our standing before the Almighty God, there is no such thing as neutrality, middle ground, or ambivalence. In our Gospel reading today, these two distinct classes of people are addressed as either being blessed or the due recipients of woe. In our Old Testament reading, Jeremiah presents this same truth when he describes he who trusts in man and he whose trust is placed in the Lord. He portrays this striking distinction by placing before us a mental image of two totally dissimilar and contrasting settings. In the one, we are to envision the desert with its fierce heat and the scorching sun relentlessly beating down upon the sand, the particles of salt within the soil glittering in the light. It is a wasteland, desolate, devoid of any vegetation, absent of any fruit, barren of any leaves which by their shade might offer relief. We behold nothing but the stunted shrub, the small bush, growing in the parched places, in the areas wherein there is no habitation barely managing to survive, exhausting all its energies, its efforts, strictly to stay alive, and therein unable to provide anything extra as a benefit to anything outside itself. All its efforts are spent upon maintaining its own paltry existence, and it cannot see when good is in its midst. In contrast to this, we are told to consider the robust tree which is growing river, the ever-flowing source of sustenance and nourishment to all that comes in contact with it. Rather than barrenness, we have fertility, life, fruitfulness, abundance. The soil is not salty and dry, but moist, lush, thriving. We see not an undeveloped bush striving for existence, but upon the embankment of the river a fully grown, blossoming tree abundant with green leaves, succulent foliage, fruitful, ever spreading its roots into the soil that is constantly replenished by the river. It has no fear of the heat that beats down upon it from a sweltering sun, and it is able to endure a period of drought, never ceasing to bear fruit, even in those times of wanting and lack. And lying beneath these vivid metaphorical representations, there is this basic, fundamental thought. It is where a man places his trust that determines the entire outcome of his life because it establishes, as it were, the soil in which he will grow. You see, the little shrub in the dry desert whose very leaves have become thorns and needles has become only fit for the desert. It is at home there and could no more thrive in the moist environment of the tree by the river 
than the tree could exist in the desert. If we make the fatal choice, which so many have, of not placing our trust, our very roots in God, but rather in this temporal world, squandering our time and efforts upon this finite existence and upon other creatures, those who are just as disoriented as we are, then our eternal spirit, our soul, is as much out of harmony with that place which we have chosen to exist as a tropical plant or a water lily would be in the midst of the Sahara Desert. God made us in His image to be rooted and to grow in Him. No amount of activity, of diversion, of recreation, of involvement in the commercial, political, economic, or social affairs of this life will mask the reality that we are not in our native soil, that we were created for something more, much more, just as the fish have gills to fit them for their existence in the boundless ocean below, and birds have wings that they may soar in the skies above, so does that which is in your innermost being, your spirit, that which separates and makes you distinct from all else in God's creation, testify that God alone is the only proper soil for your nurturing. And until the roots of your life go down into God and you draw your life from Him, derive your very sustenance from Him, you are not in your proper soil. When your trust, your hope, your confidence is set upon men, upon society, upon this world, you will be unable to recognize what is your highest good, unable, as our text tells us, to see it when it comes. Your judgment, your spiritual perceptiveness will be distorted, out of focus, blind as scriptures describe it, and you will be content with the partial and fleeting happiness that may be found in human love and companionship or from material things. When God does come into your midst, you will not desire more of Him, but rather that He provide you with more money that you might spend it upon your lust, or good health that you might be better able to become more involved in the endless activities of this life, or a change of circumstances, less stress, or a myriad of things that will just entrench you even more and more and deeper and deeper into the soil of this passing world, rather than seeing that He is the good, that He is the sole reason for your having ever been planted into this existence in the first place. But why is the recognition the realization of this truth so difficult for man to obtain, and even when he does, so hard to keep hold of. The answer is so simple, and yet so very, very complex. It is because the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. The heart, the seat of our emotions, our affections, that which motivates and drives all we do is proclaimed by God as not only being deceitful, but deceitful above all things. It calls evil good and good evil. Cries peace, peace, when there is no peace. From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, false witness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. 
We cannot know our own hearts nor what they will do when we are in a time of temptation or distress. Much less do we know the hearts of others nor depend upon them. Yet though we may not know truly what is in our hearts, God does. For He searches the heart, tries the reins of men. But that is not enough. For we ourselves must know our condition, be made cognizant of our deplorable circumstance, see ourselves as God sees us, know ourselves as we are known, that we might be shaken from our complacency, our self-assurance, our spiritual blindness. Our hearts are desperately wicked, a phrase which being translated literally means incurable. This is why God has told us elsewhere that he will replace our stony hearts and give us a new heart and a new spirit which he will put within us. Our hearts are deceitful above all things, above all that we can conceive. Indeed, there are many things in the world that deceive, but not intentionally, things such as riches and pleasure and the praise of other men. For these things in and of themselves have never promised us anything. For how could they? They possess not will nor speech. Nay, it is our heart that has deceived us into thinking there is a promise of gratification or satisfaction or fulfillment inherent within them. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. But if by his ways and the fruit of his doings you think is meant outward works, then what would be the need of searching our hearts and reins in order to know what they are? I believe that which I've just spoken can best be summed up by the words of a hymn which was written in 1779 by John Newton. As parched in the barren sands beneath a burning sky, the worthless bramble withering stands and only grows to die. Such is the sinner's awful case who makes this world his trust and dares his confidence to place in vanity and dust. A secret curse destroys his root and dries his moisture up. He lives a while but bears no fruit, then dies without a hope. But happy he whose hope depend upon the Lord alone. The soul that trusts in such a friend can never be overthrown. So thrives and blooms the tree whose roots by constant streams are fed, arrayed in green and rich in fruits, it rears its branching head. It thrives, though rain should be denied, and drought around prevail. Tis planted by a riverside whose waters cannot fail. Let us pray. Try me, O Lord, this very moment, and do this in my most secret parts. There where my affections have their strongest hold. Search me and reveal my true heart unto me, that I may surrender myself in those things unto you. For we all have need of divine help in this matter. For the heart is deceitful above all things. 